0: Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. Each week, a recovered alcoholic woman is interviewed and asked questions about certain topics surrounding her journey of recovery with your host, Stephanie Crawford. Whether you're in recovery yourself contemplating giving it a try or just supporting someone who is we are so glad you're here thanks for listening
1: hello podcast listeners my name is stephanie crawford and i am the host of this here podcast recovered interviews with alcoholic women this is my second podcast today um third one altogether I I edited one this morning and it's just been amazing story after amazing story after amazing story um this this weekend so I'm ready for another one and we have on Maggie's alumna Maggie 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 (laughs) and fun thing about Maggie is she was in the first group of women that, were in, that was in the house when I started. Um, and I remember watching her as she was at the table at the old house. Talking about how she was going to go to the 24-hour club. And of course, you know, like I have like a soft spot for the 24 because that's where I got sober. And And usually you can tell people are willing if they're willing to go there, right? But I remember looking at her and I remember thinking, like, this girl has a shot. And it was because, like, you could see the willingness and the humility that she carried. And she was about to, I think, leave in, like, the next day or the day after. And so um, I would go to the two four sometimes, and I would see you, and it would always be lovely. But then um, I heard her story, and I heard her on a different recovery podcast, and I was just crying in the car. Oh, gosh I might cry again but it's so cool because I remember seeing you in the house thinking like this girl might actually make it and like to see where God has carried you today and to know what your story looked like before it's just so grateful to have you here oh well it's such a pleasure to be here thank you so much yeah absolutely so um let's just get right into it if you don't mind giving us Your name, your sobriety date, and some background information about yourself, what your drinking looked like, and what led you to a place to want to get sober. My name is Maggie,
2: and my sobriety date is January the 10th of 2020. My drinking is, uh, at first it was nothing, you know, I, I partied like normal teenagers, you know, did whatever we did. I built a life with my family. I had kids, and I was a pretty normal person up until I wasn't. And I found that, you know, the first time I got drunk, I was, like, 12. And I drank alcoholically then. Like, I was at a beach in Panama City, Florida with my family and on a vacation. And these guys like, hey, girl, you want to come drink with us? And I'm like, sure. Because, you know, my family didn't really pay too much attention to me. So I'm like, okay. And I literally, I got hammered. Like, I didn't know when to say no. I didn't know when to stop. So I instantly drank alcoholically. Of course, I grew up with my mom, and she was an alcoholic. I mean of the worst variety. So I saw her like that, but I never thought that I would ever be that because I always said, I'm never going to be my mom. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be my mom. And um, it got to the point where, you know, you could stop. It wouldn't bother you. You drink on the weekends. You get hammered, but you wouldn't like go overboard. And then you cross that line. Mm-hmm. And when you cross that line, I, I was in denial for a very, very long time. I was like, "Oh, I can stop, I can stop, because I only drink on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Well, the weekends turned into only at night after work, and then it turned into in the morning before I go to work, and then it turned into being at work and to the point where I ended up in like eight different rehabs because it just but I was still in denial. Yeah. I didn't accept the fact that I was a true alcoholic. I didn't want to, mm-hmm. and the only reason I went to rehabs is because I'd get my husband off my butt you know, or it was a little vacation really for me, to be honest. I mean, it was just a vacation. I was like, I don't have to deal with them. I get free food. I can sleep in my own
1: bed. Especially if it's a nice treatment center. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been to some good ones. I've been to some not so good ones,
2: but at the end of the day, when you're so far gone and you're just so down that path where you have no choice, but to detox or you're going to die type of thing. I mean, I, I was like that a few times and to the point where like doctors, I, they couldn't even get the IVs in my veins. Like the doctor, doctor's like, you're going to have to put it in her juggler because we, she's going to die. Like her heart rate is out of control. And even that wasn't enough to stop me from drinking. It's just crazy. And I think that finally the, the last time that I, I knew I needed help, it was in 2017. It was the first time I ever came to Maggie's. Um, and I finally, of all those rehabs, no one ever told me that what was wrong with me? No one ever told me I had an allergy. No one ever told me that my mind's trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. All I heard was, you gotta change the way you think. You gotta, you know, and it's like, okay, that's great, but how? Right. But how? Right. Mm-hmm. And until I came to Maggie's and heard the solution and got it drilled into my head, then I realized I was alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You know, I had other, you know, things, you know, outside issues that I used as well, but alcohol was always my beast. And it always took me down to the pits of hell. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew I needed, had, needed help in 2017, but it didn't stop from there, so. So
1: in 2000, your sobriety date is 2009? 20. No, 2020. 2020, okay. And so obviously you didn't stay sober after the first trip to Maggie's. Right. So. Self-knowledge, self-knowledge availed nothing, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so tell me about, tell me what happened whenever you left Maggie's in 2017.
2: Um, 2017 I left Maggie's, I had a great sponsor, I was working the program as the book said, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and so I, I moved in with my, my dad, and my dad, um, he, although he's not alcoholic, he, um, is prescribed prescription pain medication, and my brother Um, Is also living with my father at the time, and he's a drug addict. So I I knew I was gonna be slipping, treading on slippery slopes, but you know, I didn't really have anywhere else to go. And at the time, I really didn't think about other places. It was just like my dad said, You can come live with us. I'm like, Okay, cool. So I got there and I did well for a while, but because it was so far away, it was hard for me to get it with my sponsor. And I just ended up falling, you know, slipping back into my mind and and things like that but what ultimately got me relapsed is that i end up having major surgery mm-hmm. and they prescribed me pain medication which pain communication was never my deal mm-hmm. but it's just like a gateway mm-hmm. to get you right back to where you want to be or don't want to be but so that was the start of it and then on top of that i had some outstanding um criminal charges that i didn't know about at the time and i was on probation at the time and I, I just kind of took my matters in my own hands. and was like, you know what? I'm done. Screw probation. I'll just go back. I'll do another month in jail and I'll get out, you know, and because I was looking at prison time. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll do another month. I'll get a 1244A, go home. I'll be good. That was my mindset. So I ended up having my per- probation officer revoke me because I didn't care. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up getting arrested on May the 7th of 2018, and I didn't know that I had some pending uh, first-degree felonies that I was mm. facing. So we're talking about some serious, serious time. And it just kind of—I I just didn't even know what to think at that point. But I knew I wasn't getting out, and and I didn't. Um, I ended up—they were uh, looking at 25 years. was my first offer for these drug charges. And I, uh, I was like, no. So I sat in, in county jail for about eight months, and then finally— I uh, signed for six years in TDC, and that was in 2018. Um, I did two years and got out right before, like, it was like 20, September the 11th of 2019 I got out. Um, so for all the time that I did from 17 to 19, it was like about two years, and I thought I had it. You know, I'm like almost two and a half years clean. I'm good. But because you've been
1: in prison, right?
2: Because I was locked
1: up. Okay. This was not prison. Was this prison? It was prison, TDC. Okay. So that's why you had the the two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, you know, when I was in there, I I really kind of had like one of those spiritual moments where Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, because you can think clearly, you know. um, Of course, my prison sentence wasn't pleasant at all. There was a lot of horrible things that happened to me that I would not wish on anybody. But the only person I had was God. Mm -hmm. You know, my higher power, that's all I had. You know, and there was days I wasn't sure I was going to make it. You know, I, I, there was just so many crazy things that happened while I was in prison. Um, The guards were messing with me. They ended up writing me in a sex case. I got my prison, my parole answer removed and they got, I got sent to death row. How did that happen? So I made parole. And when you make parole, you have like different stipulations that you have to do in order to go home. Well, I was sentenced to do a program called IPTC, which is In Prison Therapeutic Community. It's a six-month program. You get sent to a different unit. Um, You have to go through basically counseling classes, cognitive thinking classes, things like that that are supposed to help you mentally. Um, I was a librarian. That was my job. um, Half the day, and then the other half day, you go to class. Well, there was a lieutenant there that took a liking to me, and we live in fear. When you're there, because you don't want to lose your parole answer. Right. And so they do things that they should not do to you, to women. And um, you you fear for your life. You fear to say anything about it because you don't want to lose your parole answer. Well, you know, I'm pretty mouthy sometimes. And um, I had three days left before I was fixing to go home. And I was working that weekend and he was in there. And I knew that I was going to have to fight and, you know. Like, fight him. Yeah, fight him off. Wow. Like, either what's he? what's am I going to get beaten, raped, or am I not going to get beaten, raped today? That was...
1: Oh, wow, and that's what you had to live with every day. Every day
2: for six wondering months. Wondering if that was going to happen. Every day. So, that that Saturday, I I wasn't having it. It wasn't going to happen today. And I got mouthing, and I, I fought back, and I was like, look, you know what? Um, I know your wife. She works tonight. And, you know, he just looked at me and he was like, you made a big mistake. I'm like, whatever, I'm going home. You know, I thought I was going home. Well, because he's a lieutenant, he has power and he wrote me a major sex case. What does that mean? When you're in prison, if you do, let's say if you don't go to work, they'll write you just like a minor case. It's like, hey, you're going to get put in solitary or whatever, if you don't do your job or whatever that looks like. But a major case, you can lose your parole answer if you're, if you're on parole, if you're, you've been approved for parole. A major sex case it's automatic removal so he not only wrote me a major sex case he also signed my name to a hearing waiver said i, I was going to waive my rights to a hearing i didn't do that and i didn't know and so
1: he made up this whole thing made
2: it up so and he sent me to the worst prison that there was possible to go to so i i got called down to my parole and they're like pack your stuff and i'm like okay cool i'm going home I wasn't going home. I went to uh, a a unit that you, it's a transfer unit and they were all these women that were lined up. They call you by number. You don't have a name in prison. It's by number. And um, so all these people are lined up in all these different lines and they finally call me and I'm the only one in this line. And I'm like, what's going on? And these women are looking at me like I'm crazy. And they're like, what did you do? I'm like, what do you mean? What did I do? They're like, what did you do? I'm like, it's none of your business what I did. You know? I mean, you don't even know what my charges are. And they're like, who'd you murder? I'm like, I said, what are you talking about? And they're like, you know you're going to death row, right? And I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? They're like, no, you're going to Mountain View. That's the Mountain View line. That's death row. They're like, you got 30 plus years? I'm like, no. I don't. So anybody that goes to Mountain View, they either have 30 plus years, life without parole, or they're sentenced to die. So that's the unit I'm going to. So now I'm thinking, what has just happened? I lose all my privileges. So I have no contact with my family. I get to, to the unit and I'm put in like a solitary um, cell block is what they call it. And there's only so for every cell, there's two women. To each cell. That's it. You're on 23 hour lockdown every day. So you get out for one hour. You can go um, shower or you can go to rec or, you know, that's it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you're stuck in your cell. Well, my, um, my Sally, her, she had a girlfriend and the girl was in the cell next to us. And I guess I'd been in there for like three weeks. No contact with the outside world. Nobody knows where I'm at. Wow. And I- And you have kids. Yeah, I have kids. And nobody really knew what happened. So it was about, it was like the third week I was there, and they were letting us out to go shower. And the girl's girlfriend next to our cell, she was really angry at her because she thought that me and her girl was having something going on. And I'm like, look, I'm straight. I'm not, that's not it. Well, she didn't believe that. And so when we were going to shower, she slit her throat and the girl bled out in my lap. There was nothing I could do. By the time guards got there, she was already gone. So that was my life for a while. I I was in um, Mountain View for a couple months, and I finally got with the captain. I was like, look, I don't belong here. You know, I I don't belong here. Like, I've done nothing wrong. But God had a purpose for me going there. I didn't know what it was at the time. But had I made parole and gotten out, I would have had to go to this halfway house that would have been in Bryan, Texas, which I knew people that— Sell dope in Bryan, Texas. So, God didn't want me going there. Well, needless to say, I had an outstanding charge in Dallas County and I got bench warranted, which got me out of Mountain View. They took me to Dallas County and I was able to get a hold of the world. <laughs> and they get a hold of the onsponsman in Austin. And I tell my story. I was like, I can prove to you that this man did this to me because he broke my ribs several times and, you know, bone scar. So, you'll be able to tell when it happened. And they sent the medical examiner to me, um, did all the x rays, and they're like, yeah, this girl was definitely brutally beaten up while she was in this unit.
1: Is that guy still, does that man still work there?
2: There's an ongoing investigation. Um, Unfortunately, because I'm not in prison anymore, although I'm on parole, but because I'm not physically in harm's way at this moment, they probably will not do anything about it. Um, Yeah, it is, because, you know, I see a lot of the times when I was in there that, you know, if, if um, guards got caught having sex with women, they didn't punish them. They just moved them to a different unit. So that's kind of how they justify it. they were like, oh, well, she wanted it. That's what they say. And it's our word against theirs. Right. And who's going to believe you? Exactly. I'm a prisoner. I'm an inmate, especially yeah. with somebody with my charges because they were, you know, they're pretty bad charges. And so, you know, it was really hard and I didn't understand. And, you know, today, I guess... I look at it as, you know, God allowed me to go through those things because there's going to be somebody out there in the world that needs to hear my story, that needs to understand that I've lived a really hard life, but I did recover mm-hmm. and I don't have to use drugs or alcohol to get through my days. Mm-hmm. You know, I have peace and joy in my life. I am able to, to smile every day when I get to wake up and I don't have to put any type of substances in my body to give me that joy. Or to take away the pain, I get to feel real-life trauma today.
1: So were you able to, because you talked about earlier, you said like all you had was God when you were in prison. How were you able to still feel God's presence and have a relationship with God while all of this horrible stuff was happening to you?
2: Just pure faith. There's a Bible verse that I, that I'm I'm a Christian, and I just truly... I, I had to stand on this verse every single day. And it's Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, said the Lord plans for good, not for evil, plans to give you hope in a future. And I had to tell myself that every single day. And then there was a song I love to sing. And there's a song by Mary Mary. And it, um, it says, uh, I just can't give up now. Come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me it was going to be easy, but I don't believe you brought me this far to leave me. Mm-hmm. And I had to sing that every day because I would cry. And I didn't understand, but I've lived through some really crazy things, and I know that I'm a very strong person. Just to give you an example of how crazy my life has been, like in 2016, I was in a horrible car accident. I was drinking and driving. My blood alcohol level was a 0.399. I hit a tree head-on. I was driving a 1990 Chevy pickup truck. No airbags, solid steel. Well, the tree won. I was dead on arrival when the paramedics got there. I had, um, my whole face was completely crushed. My clavicle was broke. I had six broken ribs. I had a punctured lung um, and a broken pelvic bone. And they weren't expecting me to live. Uh, I was on life support in ICU for a little over a week. And I recovered somehow. But I had my jaw wired shut, and um, you would think that that would have been enough, right, to stop me from drinking again. But it, I didn't have a week or a month before my mind told me different, mm-hmm. and within two months I was Ubering to Specs to buy a bottle of liquor to drink through a straw so I could get obliterated again. Mm,
1: I remember you talking about that. Yeah,
2: I mean, like, who does that?
1: An alcoholic. An alcoholic. Mm-hmm.
2: And I, and you know, once I started, I couldn't stop. And I mean, I was drinking hard liquor. I wasn't drinking this little vodka stuff. I'm going straight to the fireball and the whiskey, the horrible stuff that I mean, like, what when I thinking? Like, but I wasn't thinking. The disease was. It was it had taken over. So just little things like that in my life that I was able to survive and live to talk about it.
1: I mean, obviously God wants you alive, right?
2: He does, and he has. And I mean, all the women that, in the two and a half years that I've been clean now and sober, I mean, there's lives I've touched that I don't even know that I've touched. Like, the women that I sponsor now tell me about them telling my story to a girl that lives with them or somebody else, and it changes their life. Like, I don't let my past dictate my future. Yeah, I have six felonies. Yeah, I'm on parole but I'm living my best life, I have an amazing job, I have my own sober living house. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many amazing things that have come from just surrendering and actually listening to somebody else and and having a sound mind just to, I don't have to run things
1: anymore. Yeah. So you get out of prison and obviously like, nobody wants to go to prison, but nobody really wants to go back to prison, especially after the experience that you had but clearly that wasn't enough to keep you sober. Nope. Right? So tell me what happened. Like what was it that led to the first first drink? So
2: I get out of prison and, you know, they try to set you up for success. They send you to all of these reentry classes and they give you resources that are kind of pointless. You know, and I, I came from... A background where I, I was a very successful businesswoman. I used to make like two hundred thousand dollars a year as a consultant. So to get humble enough to take a minimum wage job was extremely difficult.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I felt really lost when I got back out. Um, you know, I'd missed several years of, of what happened in the world. You know, I get out, I get paroled to my daughter's house and which was my ex-husband's house and I before that hers. And so there's a lot of memories there. I just, I was feeling really out of place. I did what I was supposed to do. I, I um, was reporting every week. I had to report every single week. And so when I had stipulations on me, I was okay. About three weeks out of prison, I met a guy. I, I was actually, I still wasn't doing life the right way. Cause I was actually driving for Lyft and Uber with no driver's license under my daughter's name.
1: Oh, I remember that too. Yeah, yeah. so you know, I, uh,
2: I I thought that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. And so she's gonna let me do it, great, that's awesome. And it, and it wasn't a success for a minute, but I ended up meeting a guy on Facebook and he, he lives on Swiss Avenue in Dallas and he's got lots of money and I'm like, oh, this man's gonna sweep me off my feet, he's the solution. Right. But I was still claiming to be recovered Although I wasn't working a program, I wasn't doing anything to stay sober. I was just living life. And in the back of my mind, my, my disease is doing push-ups waiting for me, waiting for that moment. Mm-hmm. And so this guy, he's an alcoholic. He does lots of drugs. And I thought I could handle it. I'm like, you know, I've lived through a lot of crazy stuff. and I, And I keep telling myself I'm recovered. I'm good. So I'm going over there every single weekend hanging out with him. He's high. He's drunk, whatever and One day he decides he just ghosts me for no reason. I mean sure I mean if you're dating a girl that just got out of prison off a death row and you don't know me from Adam You don't know what kind of person I am. I'd be petrified Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so I didn't see it that way at the time but it, he I ended up going to I, I hit the liquor store. I don't even know how it happened. I had not no intentions None whatsoever to go to a liquor store It just hit me. I'm driving and all of a sudden there's a liquor store. I'm next thing I know I'm pulled into there. I have a bottle in my mouth and I'm headed straight to the dope house I don't even know how it happened It just did and it didn't take me long before I'm right back where I started, you know, two and a half years ago and actually worse
1: Yeah, because the disease is progressive. It was
2: horrifying. It was, everything was horrible. Like, even taking a few drinks, I'm blacking out, literally. Taking a few sips of whiskey, and I'm blacking out. Mm -hmm. It it was just petrifying. But I ended up going, um, see, it was about four months in. I ended up going to uh, my parole officer's office, drunk
1: and high. I remember you said, because she told you, always show up no matter what. No matter what. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, here I go.
2: I'm not going to pass your drug test, but, you know, whatever. I'm still showing up. So I showed up and she looked at me and she's like, good God. I mean, of course, you know, because I, I drink cinnamon whiskey, so that stuff just reeks. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, I've been drinking for a week straight, so it just was protruding out of my, my pores. So I'm sure I didn't smell pleasant. And I walked in there and um, I was like, I ain't going to pass that. And she's like, well, take it anyway. So I did. One of the one times that I'm not clean, I can pee, no problem. Every time I'm not every time I'm clean, it's like it takes forever. But this time I was like, yeah, whatever. I just didn't care. And I and she's like, Well what did you feel for? I said everything. Meth, coke, alcohol, I don't know what else is in there. There's no telling. And she's like, you know what? If you don't get your life together, I'm gonna send you back and you're gonna do all of your time. And at that point I knew that something had to be done, but I couldn't stop on my own. I knew I was in trouble. Um, I mean, I couldn't go 30 minutes without drinking. I mean,
1: that had to be a terrifying feeling, knowing, like, I'm screwed, but I can't do anything to stop it.
2: I couldn't, and I was petrified. And then I get back home from that day, and my daughter, my oldest daughter, who I was living with, she goes, you can't live here. You gotta go. Like, you can't drink here. You have to go. And she goes, and you're not taking the car. I canceled the insurance on it, by the way. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I'm phoning a friend. I'm putting... All kinds of madness out on Facebook, not even knowing what I'm putting out there. Like, I'm not even cognizant enough to understand what I'm doing to myself. And so some guy was like, I'll come pick you up. I don't even know this guy. Thank you, Jesus, he didn't show up. But I, um, yeah, I ended up taking the car anyway. And I went out and just driving the streets of Dallas, blacked out drunk. Thank you that I did not kill anybody or myself. And... That was on I think a Monday. So on Wednesday, I told my youngest daughter, I was like, I gotta get help. I can't do this. I'm got I, I got detox. I can't go thirty minutes without drinking, and I start shaking with tremors, and that's bad. Like even when you're when you can drink and you still go into detox, like you're starting to freak out. So she took me to uh, Pine Street in Fort Worth, and um, the doctor was like, We don't have a bed. But he called my daughter, and then he's like, look, you have two choices. You can either take your mom to the liquor store or take her to the hospital because she's going to die. Like, she's so far gone. She's going to die. So my daughter drove me to the liquor store. And... Um, that it had to have been hard. For yeah. her? Yeah. It was, but she... It was my youngest daughter, and she's an addict and an alcoholic as well. So she, um, she wasn't in her addiction at the time. So she... She understood, yeah, what was happening, but she didn't. She didn't want to, but she knew. She knew I would die.
1: Right. That's what I'm saying. Like that had to have been.
2: Yeah, and and, I, and of course you know, and I'm such a horrible mom. Like I'm sitting there drinking in bed, and she, you know, you we are sharing a room because I just got out of prison. So, she, like, she's trying to not drink and be in recovery, and I'm sitting there disrespecting everything because we don't have any conscience when we're when we're mm-hmm. in that state of mind. And so it was really hard, but. Needless to say, they, they, I, was, I stayed out two more days and, um, like I said, running the streets of Dallas, doing what I got to do. I'm getting high. I'm getting drunk. I don't care. Like, I didn't have enough liquor to stay, to stay myself. I mean, it was just horrible. And I just, I, could, I, but I couldn't stop. So finally, they called me on a Thursday night and they're like, we have a bed. Can you be here in the morning? And I'm like, somehow I will make it. I don't know how. Ended up actually messaging my ex-husband and asked him if he could send me some money on cash up so I could get gas in the car to get back to my daughter's house so she could take me in the morning. And that was on January the 9th of 2020. So I went and detoxed on the 10th and, um, you know, life has been really good since then.
1: You went to Maggie's from?
2: From Pine Street. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got to Pine Street and I did the detox there and they have a 30-day program as well upstairs, but... I just wasn't, there was just something, it was giving me anxiety, like, I I just, because it's a kind of like a, um, a co-ed thing, and there was a guy that was there that looked just like the other yeah. guy I was dating, and he was trying to hit on me, and I was tripping, I wasn't trying to have none of that, Right. and I'm like, I had him actually take me to JPS, because I thought I was having a nervous breakdown, and from there, they put me on all this medication, which I've never taken medication in my life, and... I was like, I can't be here. What's well, really crazy? I'm sitting in the emergency room at JPS, and there's a lady sitting next to me, and I'm crying. I just wanted to die. Mm-hmm. I, I felt so hopeless, and I'm eight days sober at this point, but I still feel really hopeless. And the lady's like, "Man, what's going on?" She goes, "You know, you know, Jesus loves you, right?" And I said, "Can I borrow your phone?" I said, "I need to call the Magdalene House." And I called, and I talked to my favorite, one of my favorite people that, that works here, Roxy, um, and Rosie, and she, um, she's like, if you can get here by 915, we can get you in. I didn't know how I was going to get there, because I still got to check out at Pine Street, get all my stuff, and then make it to Dallas from Fort Worth, but God willing, I did, and my daughter was kind enough to, to take away from her birthday, it was her birthday dinner that night, but she drove me, came and picked me up and drove me to Dallas, And I did all the time at at, um, Maggie's, the 14 days, and man, what a life it changes. Mm -hmm. It changed my life, and man, it gave me the tools and the foundation and the love. The love that you get when you come to Maggie's house is um, just indescribable Mm
1: -hmm.
2: because they can love you when you can't love yourself.
1: so true.
0: Are you or someone you know struggling with the inability to stop drinking? At the Magdalene House, we believe that alcoholic women deserve a place to recover with dignity. In our two-week residential program, clients will be introduced to what alcoholism is and what alcoholism isn't, as well as be presented with the solution, all in a loving and supportive environment. All of our programs are at absolutely no cost, and because we accept no government money, we can accept women all over the world and stick to our own curriculum. If you want to stop drinking and cannot, call 214-324-9261 for a phone screen.
1: So um, another important piece of your story is going to the twenty four hour club, right? And you said that you went there originally kicking and screaming. You didn't want to go. Yeah. And then you had that experience with your sponsor doing the third step and everything. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, so
2: I was I was at Maggie's house and I was getting ready to graduate and I was looking for a place to live. And so I had spoken with my mom. She'd come in to visit me on a Friday and I was supposed to be leaving the following Saturday. And she said, you know, listen, I'll sell your car. I'll give you the money so you can have that to live on so you can get a job. And I'll pay for your Oxford house if we don't sell your car right away so you can, you know, start somewhere. And I was like, okay, great. So then that following Friday, my sponsor was coming. It was, Wednesday. it was a Wednesday. So my sponsor was coming to do my first three steps with me. And I called my mom and told her that I got into the Oxford, that this is how much it's going to be, and I'm excited. I'm so happy. And she's like, yeah, about that. She's like, you know what? I'm not paying for your Oxford. I'm not giving you the money for your car. She goes, you can figure it out on your own. You got yourself into this. You can get yourself out. And I tell you what, I cussed my mom out that day. I was angry. I was just, I was livid. I was like, you know what? My head is messed up enough. I don't need you to be messing it up more playing these mind games with me. Cause that's what I felt like. I was really angry at her. It's like, you know, you've never been a part of my life. You know, she was, you know, an alcoholic most of her life. The only reason that she's even sober is because she had a stroke, you know, and she's a great mom. But at the time I was just angry. I was mm-hmm. furious. And so just about that time, my sponsor had walked in cause I'm doing my step work with her. And she's like, hey, what's going on? And I told her what happened with my mom and i was angry and, And she paused and she said, can I give you some feedback? I was like, yeah. And she's like, your mom owes you nothing. She goes, you got yourself into this. You can get yourself out. Just like she said, maybe God is removing your human resources so that you'll rely on him. And I paused because I, she was right. Like I never thought about it that way. And I tell you what, I'm so grateful that she said that because one of the ladies in the house had recommended me go into the Dallas 24 hour club. And I was like, Oh, I'm not going to that place. Cause I remember it back in the nineties. It was an old house. It was dis- it was dirty. It was disgusting, it had bed bugs. I'm like, I'm better than that. I certainly wasn't humble enough to go there. I'm like, I ain't going. But at the point I didn't have a choice because none of the other Oxford houses had any, um, scholarship money. Mm-hmm. I-, I didn't have a choice. So I was like, okay. That's what I'm going to do then. So I ended up getting out of Maggie's on a Saturday. I did my fifth step with my sponsor. Did my step work. She took me to the 2-4. And I'm just sitting there going, this is not what I thought it was. This is definitely okay. You know, the first phase, you have to sleep on these black mats on the floor. Well, that's cool. Because guess what? That's like a silly posturpedia compared to a prison mat. Mm. So I'm down for that. And it just. Slowly but surely God started opening up my heart to be able to trust him and I i, I was still trying to run things in my head because I'm a control freak So I was still trying to run things and I was at the 2-4 for about two weeks I still didn't have a job because I wasn't still humble enough to go get a minimum wage job mm-hmm. I've still got in the back of my head that I'm better than that well I went for a run because I like to exercise, so I went for a run that day and I ended up tearing the ligaments in one of my ankles, and I couldn't walk. I certainly can't go look for a job, and you're supposed to be out of that building from 9 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon looking for a job if you don't have one. And I'm thinking, I am screwed. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, luckily there was a guy that, that he, it's an um, alumni there. He would come and um, let me help him like mow grass. And I'm obviously, I've got a headache. I can't mow grass, but um, he did help me do some odd jobs. It gave me some money. So I was help, able to pay a little bit of rent, but I'm still getting farther and farther and farther behind. And so when I did that, I finally, I was like, I got to surrender. Like, I can't figure this out. I'm, I'm totally helpless at this point. So I went into, they have a meditation room there and I finally, I hit my knees and I just cried and I prayed, I was like, God, it's like I need your help. I, I can't do this on my own anymore. I've, I've run into roadblocks everywhere I go. I can't, I, I'm done. Like I can't walk, I can't work. I'm getting further, further behind on my rent. I don't know what to do. So I finally surrendered that day and man, the most amazing things started happening. Like my heel, my ankle just, miraculously started healing like and it was like ungodly amount of time it was you know a torn ligament in an ankle that's gonna take a long like within three weeks i'm completely healed i was able to go do some work at um my brother's house i cleaned his house he paid me a bunch of money i ended up getting a job and i ended up paying a huge debt off to the two i was two and a half months behind in rent but the only reason that they allowed me to stay is because i was working my program I was doing what I could. Even though I'm hobbling around, cleaning tables, pushing in chairs, sorting through the clothes closet, doing what I can do, they allowed me to stay because they could tell that I, I wanted it. And if I didn't, if I, I mean, if I didn't care, I wouldn't be in there helping, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the biggest things that I do today with the women that I that I sponsor is like, you know what? Open a door, push in a chair, make some coffee. Mm-hmm you may not think it matters but it matters mm-hmm. and it just everything started changing i paid over almost a thousand dollars in debt to them in three weeks like that's recovery and ended up getting a really good job when COVID had hit mm-hmm. and uh you know i was scared because i was like i got six felonies they're gonna run my background i don't know what to do but the director was like don't sell yourself short kid i've hired a felon before and ended up working as a cashier that got promoted to a bookkeeper and a front-end manager. And it just keeps getting better. Like working these steps the way that this, the, the book um, tells you to do and not running the show myself, just doing exactly what these simple steps are. And this time it's been so easy. It has been really easy when you truly surrender mm-hmm. and, and stop trying to figure things out and just do what your sponsor tells you to do. You know, if, and if it says
1: go make some coffee, then go make some coffee, don't question it, just do it. I know. Like, that's uh that was a huge turning point, I think, for me, too. It was just, like, doing the things that my sponsor told me to do, whether I understood it or yeah. not. You know, it doesn't make sense. To call your sponsor with all these problems and then have her tell you to go pray and help someone.
2: Yeah. Like, how is that going to help any of these problems? But you know what is What the crazy thing is, is it works. I know. Like, going to help somebody else, you can't be in self-pity. Right. When you're doing something joyful for somebody else and kind, you can't be angry and kind at the same time. It's impossible. For me, because I'm a Christian, my grandmother taught me when I was a little girl, if you want to have joy in your life, you have to have Jesus, others, and then yourself. You put it in that in that order, your life is going to be very, very peaceful. And it, it has been, and you know, I, um, I got this new job and it's a really crazy story, but it's called sitting in faith and not allowing your past to dictate your future. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really good job. It's a good company. And I was petrified because I know they're going to run my background, but I interviewed, I ace every interview. The second interview was two hours long with four different people. On a Zoom meeting, and they were like, "Well, we'll call you in forty-eight hours and let you know." And they like literally blew my phone up in forty-eight minutes. Called me, offered me the job, sent me my offer letter, and in big bold letters at the bottom, it says "in contingent of your background." And I thought, "All right, God, you didn't bring me this far to leave me." So you know, my my fiance he told me to step out in faith because I was petrified. Now I was living in fear, false events appearing real in my head, thinking that they're not going to hire me, I'm a felon, I have all these horrible drug charges. Well, because he encouraged me to do so, I, I did, you know, I went all out and I, I, I did, I applied for the job, I got the job. And then I saw you, you have a way of tracking where your you know, your background checks are it tells you what they've done, if they've sent it to the employer And so on a Wednesday, they'd send it to my employer, the new employer. And I thought, okay, I should be good to give my notice at Tom Thumb on Friday. And this was right before the 4th of July. So come Friday, I hadn't heard from them. And I thought, well, no news is good news. So I gave my notice to Tom Thumb. And on Monday, I got a call that said, we got your background back. And we're going to have to resend you our offer. But we're going to give you five days to review it. And if you can dispute anything that's on it, and I'm thinking in my head, well, I know what's on it, and it's all bad, and it's all mine. So one of the things that this company that I work for now has is that, you know, they want to, they believe in the golden rule, treat others as you would want to be treated. Take ownership of the things that, that you've done. And I, and that, that really stood out to me. So I'm sitting there at the eye doctor appointment with my fiance, and he's in there that eye doctor, and God just came over me and said, write him an email right now. So I did. I wrote him an email and I said, you know, thank you for the opportunity to allow me to review my background. I said I have done so and I don't dispute any of it. I did all of those things and I'm not proud of it. I said, you know, but I've struggled with addiction for 15 years and I'm not the same woman that I used to be, the woman that did all those horrible things. Said, you know, I've got almost 2 years clean and sober at this point. I've eight women that I sponsor. I go out and carry the message at rehabs to give other women hope that we do recover. And, you know, if given the opportunity, I will meet or exceed your expectations. I'll give you personal and professional references that'll vouch for the woman that I am today. They took my references, and two days later they called me back and they said, we want to reinstate our offer. So, So it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter if you've been to prison. Doesn't matter if you were a drug dealer working for the cartel. Doesn't matter if you drove drunk, hit a tree, died and came back to life. Doesn't matter if you will step out of faith and trust that your higher powers got you back mm-hmm. and that's all that you need. Everything else just falls into place. I mean, now I have an amazing job. I was donated a house that I've opened for Sober Living for Women. Oh, wow, that house was donated to you? My brother-in-law came and heard my story one day. He knew, he knew my kind of knew my story, but he never heard it. Mm-hmm. He knew I went to prison. He knew that I was an alcoholic. He knew these things, but he didn't really know the whole story. So I was telling my story at um, a group um, in Dallas, and um, I had invited one of the ladies um, that he knows to, to listen to me, and she's like, well, can Jim come? And I was like, sure he can. And he was like after the meeting he was like oh my god he goes, can we talk I'm like sure he goes i have to go do this thing over here but if you can come over here i need to talk to you about some business i'm like sure so i went over there and met him and he's like listen you know i've, I've opened this rv park up and i'm moving out and i have this barn dominium that i've built out there for myself because i really want to donate my house to you so that you can open a sober living house for women and just continue to be an inspiration to people. He's like, that's crazy. I didn't know those things about you. I didn't know that you've been through all of that. So it it opened a couple of months ago. And yeah, it's been pretty amazing to have so many miraculous things happen to
0: Mm -hmm. somebody
2: that thought I was never gonna make anything out of myself again because of my past. You know, you stand in faith and you never know what God has in store for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and now I'm getting married in October, and I'm having this little fairy tale wedding that I never dreamed ever possible. Mm-hmm. There's just so many amazing things that have happened in the two and a half years that I've been sober. Yeah, that I could have never done alone.
1: I know. Thank it is. So I have a couple questions that I want to ask you. I'm assuming, like with your fourth and fifth step, that cr- that guard was on the fourth step, right? Yes. There's always women who are going to hear, like,
0: how do I have
1: any part in that? You know, like, all of that stuff, right? And, like, and the truth is, like, you were a victim, you know? But I also know, like, victims don't get sober because I was a victim, too, for a long time. So what would you say, like, using your experience with, like, the fourth and the fifth step and anything else that you had to do? to a woman who maybe has had serious trauma where, like, she didn't play a part in that? What would you want to say to her? Or how were you able to to move forward with that?
2: Well, you know, being in prison, you're locked up, you know, 24-7. And it's, um, you know, I had to, to sit back and think about it for a really long time because in this particular situation, I might have had some part. I, not that I asked to be beaten or raped but you know when you got a man that's flirting with you it's it's only your natural instinct to smile and flirt back oh, yeah. you know that's any woman would do that especially mm-hmm. being locked up for years you know you're like hello no attention yeah I'm fixing to go home like nothing's gonna happen because that's in your mind morally nothing should happen Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I did play a part and I'll admit that. I mean, sure, I'm going to flirt back. I'm going to smile. I'm going to laugh. You know, I have a really contagious energy, so I do draw a lot of attention. And I'm not an ugly person, so I know this and I can sing and I'm very outgoing. And so, and he's spending a lot of time with me in this library that's closed in, secluded, no cameras. I wasn't ever in my, I never imagined that my actions were going to turn into such a horrific experience so i did have to take ownership of that and i didn't want that to happen i hadn't i didn't ask for that to happen and but i did play a part and i knew that but there are times like there but there have been situations in my life you know i was i was molested as a child i had no part in that i was nine nine years old Mm -hmm. i had no part in that and i had to come to terms that you know what I don't, I don't, I guess I don't hold grudges. I don't hold resentments towards a lot of people very long because I know that the things that I put out in the universe are the things I'm going to get back. So if I continue to carry that negative energy, I'm going to get back negative energy. Mm -hmm. And I it's a mindset. I have to speak life every day. I've had bad days and thank God I have a fiance that will put me in check. He's like, you okay? Check on your friends. Check on your people in recovery. Not everybody's going to have a great day, you know. And with the mental health world the way that it is, it's really important to check on our friends, you know. And I had a friend that um, hung herself a couple weeks ago. And so, you know, she was like me. She was always happy, always had a smile on her face. Never in a million years did you ever think anything was wrong with her. So it's just really important. Was she in recovery? She was. She was 47 days clean. And she um, apparently had had a relapse that night. Her boyfriend wasn't okay with that. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what was said. But she took her own life that night. And like me, you would never think there was anything wrong with me. So it's not good to hold on to that stuff. Because you just don't know. And I just have to tell women that that speak life. Speak life. Because you can't change the past. There is no future in the past. Live for today. Because we're not promised tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that's how I just have a lot of peace. It's like I know that today is the day that I have to live. I wake up. I got to breathe. I'm blessed. That's the way I look at it. I just always have to stay positive and And surround yourself with positive people.
1: So have you found forgiveness for... The people who have harmed you? I have.
2: I don't hold, like I said, I don't hold grudges. You know, I don't know what's going on in that man's life to cause him to do what he did. And I don't have to own that. Um, But I know that this is just something, this is the way I was raised. And I said, if I I can't forgive, then I must think that I'm better than God. Because God forgives everybody. Powerful. So if I think of life, that's the way I think of life. Is I, I had some, um, I said some unforgiveness with my ex-husband for a long, long time, and it took my new fiance to point it out to me because I didn't realize that I was holding on to it. And I'm like, dang. You know what? I really am, because just the way you talk about it, when you bring up things and you have a negative attitude, you might want to pray about that, and ask. For God to make you willing. And so, you know, sometimes forgiveness comes easy. And sometimes it doesn't. Right. But we just have to pray, continue to pray that we'll be willing. And that's what I do.
1: Yeah, and I mean, what freedom comes, right?
2: Man, I live with a lot of freedom. Yeah. I have a lot of peace in my life today. Yeah. I, I ran into one of my old... um girlfriends that came through Maggie's with me in 2017 and she's just like oh my god like you are a night and day she goes you were so stressed out and you were just all over the place when I met you the first time she goes "Man, you have got peace and joy in your life she's like you are a totally different person Mm -hmm. and that's the freedom of just letting go and letting God do for me what I couldn't do for myself you know I don't let things get to me anymore
1: so it's Mm -hmm. just I mean, that is, that's a lot of freedom, because it's bondage to be, I was talking to a about this today, but, like, giving that much power to somebody, if you were giving that guard, like, that much power over you, still, you would still be a prisoner. Yeah. Just, like, in your own mind. Yeah, your mind
2: is trying to kill you every day. Yeah. you got to control what you come, what you speak into this atmosphere again, is what you get out of life, and I, I refuse
1: to ever be a prisoner again. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about was um how many children do you have? I have two girls. Two girls. Now if I remember this correctly did you use and drink with one of them?
2: I did. So my oldest daughter's a normie. Okay. She she's just like her dad. She can take it or leave it. It doesn't matter. My youngest daughter is my mini me. She is just like me and um when I was uh out I, I guess living in the streets kind of living hotel to hotel selling drugs doing things I shouldn't have been doing I, yeah I became my daughter's drug dealer um we partied together I took her to bars when she's under age I mean it was I mean we have a little we were a little you know Thelma and Louise kind of thing going on with the mom and, and it was very it's not something that I'm proud of
1: so did you come in with a lot of shame because of that you or, know, or guilt, or...
2: The, well, sure, there was a lot of guilt and shame. Um It just made me feel like I was just a horrible mom. Like, what mom does that? Like, it's one thing to drink with your kid, but when you're doing illegal drugs with your kid, and you're getting her involved with, drug dealing, you're getting her involved in things that could put her away for life, you know, your mind is just, it's messed up when you get that... It's filled with, you know, smoke and clouds and you can't see anything because you're so messed up on drugs and alcohol that you don't see what you're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. But when I got sober, yeah, it was a really hard reality. And, And then, of course, she was sober when I got out of prison. And then when I relapsed, she was still sober. Then about two and a half months into my sobriety, she relapsed. And she went back out for about a year and a half. Um, she is now uh, about five months clean, yes, so she got clean in January, very soon, I don't know what her sobriety date is, but it's close to mine, I think it might be, actually, I think it's January the 18th is her sobriety day, so it's like eight days after mine two years later, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so she is, um, clean and sober now, expecting her first child, Mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah, it was a lot, it was really hard.
1: Now, have you forgiven yourself for that?
2: I have. I have. You know, like I said, I don't hold on to a lot of things because, you know, I just let it, I give it to God. Like, I pray about everything. Every morning, I have a routine. I get up in the morning. I get my Jesus calling out. I pray. I meditate. And, you know, it it might be five minutes. It might be three minutes. It might be 30 seconds, depending on what I got going on. But I always give it to God first. And I pray throughout the whole day, every day. Because there's things that come up all the time. But I just have a lot of discipline in my life now that I'd never had before. You know, alcoholics are very undisciplined people. Mm -hmm. But staying close to people in recovery, my sisters in recovery, this time around is what saved me. You know, I stayed close to the Dallas 24-Hour Club. You know, I lived there for six months after I left Maggie's. And that changed my life. And then, you know, I was able to have enough discipline that I could get my own condo. And, you know, I got the condo with my daughter, who was still using at the time. But the beautiful thing about being recovered is that I don't think about using or drinking. I don't think about not using or drinking. I just don't think about it. There was times, there was bottles of wine in my house at all times. I didn't even think once to take a drink. Never. Not once. You know, I, I just, there was drugs in my house. But it never, it never occurred to me that I should get high that day. You know, and that's the beautiful thing about
1: working this program that it the problem gets removed. Right, it's, it's just gone. I had somebody ask me one time because I would still bartend part time, mm-hmm. you know, like private events and stuff, and and he was like, "That doesn't tempt you." I and mean, you know, he doesn't understand, right? But I was like, "No, like if God removes a problem, it's no longer a problem." Yeah, right. But unless like you've experienced. That problem being removed, you can't even begin to comprehend the freedom that comes with that. Yeah, it is. It's just really crazy.
2: Like, my kids don't understand it. Everybody that knew me as an alcoholic, they know that if I got a drink in my hand, it's over. Right. I mean, I can serve alcohol to people. Like, my brother-in-law, he's a normie. He doesn't, he just, he's fine. I mean, I'm sitting there serving up liquor to him, and they're like, You okay? Like, I'm good. I recoil from it like a hot flame. It repulses me to even think about putting that in my body today. I'm only promised today. But as long as I continue to stay close to God and I continue to do the things that I know work, that have been taught to me, I I just don't think about it. I have so much freedom that I can go into a bar if I want to. I have a good reason to be there. Life is just different. And I never thought it could be so freeing. But, you know, the thing is, don't... I, I didn't ever work the steps the way that they're meant to work. I did them buffet style.
1: Mm-hmm. I was gonna take
2: a little i here, I'll take a little bit of that, but I sure as heck ain't doing that. Right. And if you think I'm gonna tell somebody I'm sorry, you're crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean,
2: that's the only thing I can say is just working these steps and doing the things that the program that I worked at.
1: So how is, it sounds like the relationship with your daughters is good today? It is great today.
2: I'm actually, my oldest daughter hated me. Like, I mean, hate's a strong word. but and That's
1: the normie, right? That's the normie.
2: Okay. Because she doesn't get it either. Right. She doesn't understand. I mean, she's obviously seen it because she lived with me for years. You know, obviously, as a child growing up, you have a mom that's a soccer mom doing everything right, being a coach, doing everything. And all of a sudden, going from a soccer mom to the worst alcoholic and, and pill popper and whatever else I was doing at the time. Like, they didn't understand. They didn't know why. They didn't even know what happened to me. They're like... One day you're good, and the next day, who are you? Right. And and they never really understood, and I protected them from the reasons why I started drinking. I protected them from all the anger and hate that I had towards my ex-husband, you know, because he was the reason that I started using and drinking. Mm -hmm. You know, I made the choice to go down that road. He didn't force it. He didn't have a gun to my head, but he paved that path that I chose to walk down. And so it was really hard for them. So she didn't have... Any desire to speak to me, you know, when I was locked up, I didn't call her because she wouldn't answer. And then, you know, after I, when I finally, when I got to prison, you know, she did start talking to me and started thinking that maybe this will be the turning point. Maybe this will be the thing. This will be what will change my mom. So she started having contact with me. And then of course, I get out and I screw it all up again. Mm-hmm. You know, we build it all up and then we pull the walls back right. down. You know, it's that, that's what we do. Yeah, she was really disappointed. But today, I mean, it's really funny because the company I work for, both my daughters work there. Really? And then my niece and her husband work there. And since it's, we all work from home, well, we do Google Hangouts. So we have like our little office space. So I get to see my daughters every single day. So cool. it's really cool. So we're very, very close now. And like she's actually going to be my maid of honor.
1: No way. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It sounds like God has done a lot of... Restoration yes, in your life. He is the great restorer. Yes. He is the great restorer.
2: That's amazing. Sometimes it
1: happens fast
2: and sometimes it doesn't. But if you believe, you will. It will happen.
1: Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, we are at exactly one hour. Um, and as expected, this was amazing. I know it will provide lots of inspiration and hope to those who need it. Um, and My final question is, if you could leave the listeners with one takeaway, Um, you know, if you could only tell them one thing about either getting sober or trying to stay sober, whatever the case may be, what would you want to make sure they heard? The one thing that I would want them to hear
2: is that stay close to your recovery family. They were the ones that are going to get you through when you think that there is no hope. You got to let go of the things in your past the people, places, and things, because you can't save them. Save yourself. Very
1: powerful. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. If you have loved what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us on Spotify, share with a friend that you think this could help, uh, upload it to your Instagram stories, all of the things that help this podcast reach more alcoholics, which is ultimately what we are trying to do. Maggie, thank you so much for being here. This has been amazing. Um, And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. You guys have no idea how grateful I am for you because because of you, I get to have this amazing job. So to all of you, I will catch you on the next episode. Bye.
0: This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.